Peace world, easy world, it's your man and Boogie, don't worry about the name, get used to the voice And it is another episode of Keep It A Tile, thank you so much for moving, rocking and vibing with me As always, I am grateful to have you in the mix And y'all, this is my favorite time of the year besides Thanksgiving and my birthday My favorite project to do of all time And that is the Father's Day edition of Keeping The Towel. Why I Kept My Towel series, Father's Day edition. You get a chance to listen to some fathers and you're going to be able to hear them speak their raw truth about their lives and their journey into fatherhood, man. So I'm getting a chance to do that here again. And I got another incredible father here in the mix with me. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, all the way from North Carolina, I love my people out there, man. They, they're like the coolest people. And I'll say this, they can blend in any type of music style out there. So, all the way from North Carolina, my man, Mr. Andre Davis. Dre, are you in the building, sir? I'm in the building, man. I appreciate you having me, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... My man is here, and we're going to get a chance to speak with Mr. Davis, and we're going to vibe with him about his journey in fatherhood and also his life, what it was like growing up and things that he learned, and now he's implementing it with his kids and everything. So, Mr. Davis, this is how this game goes. I need you to get your hands wrapped, put your gloves on, get your mouthpiece in your mouth, get your grind guard on, get your headgear on, make your way to the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and grab a chair and sit around the ring. It is Dre Davis and Aunt Boogie. And this round, this sparring session has officially started. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. So, Dre, let's put this yeah. tape in the boombox and rewind it back to 19 Zigga Zigga. And let us know the genesis of Mr. Dre Davis. I come from North Carolina to the Grove. Uh, I'm an 80s baby, so you yes, can about imagine yes, sir. how it was growing up in the 80s. So childhood was what it was, man. You know, we, uh, the streets races, mom races. You know, we didn't have no daddies growing up, you know what I mean? But we, growing up with a strong mother, she made us strong men. You know, that's how we, that's how we rock, man. That's how we carry it on um, to this day. You had some siblings or it was just, you're the only child? I got two brothers. I got two oldest brothers. One of them was in the military. He lived up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, shout out to Hitman. And then I got another brother that's a year older than me. Um, he actually lived right down the street. So, so. Oh, wow. So everybody's still close-knit as it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. <laughs> as we know, in, in oftentimes, and it would not being stereotypical, let's call it what it is, in the black community, Particularly in the 80s and going into the 90s, a lot of kids were raised by single parents, by a single mom. Were there men growing up, like sports you played, that you had coaches or men who, who poured into you that you appropriated as a father figure or not? Nah? nah, we, it, with, you know, the neighborhood where we was at, you know what I mean? Every, all the, you know, all the street dudes was our family. So then was the dudes that we saw. So when we was growing up, then was the dudes that we wanted to be. Me and my brothers were actually unfortunate enough, unfortunate, where we couldn't play. We didn't get a chance to play sports okay. um, when we were smaller, um, unless some other parents, like some of our people we went to school with, our parents would help us get to play ball and stuff. But we didn't really get to play sports and stuff until we got to school, until we got into high school. It was just, you know, it was just like, because uh, everybody, you know, back in the 80s, everybody was getting money, so... 
you know, when you that young and that's what you see every day, that's what you think you're going to be. You know what I mean? But you don't know really, really what's going on. You just know you're going to grow up, be around your family, and you're going to get a lot of money. And that's just what we saw, you know, back then. You know what I mean? But far, and we wasn't worried about having our daddies because we had a big family. My, uh, my mama had 13 brothers and sisters. So oh, wow. we had a lot of, we had a lot of first cousins. So we, you know, we was always covered, you know, however it needed to be. You had played sports back in the day. What was it that you, mm-hmm. what was it that you got your hands into, man? I had wrestled when I was in high school, but I was really, really good. Really, really good. Okay. Uh, I won a lot of championships uh, in high school. Um, I was actually a scholar athlete, really? um, but, you know, yeah, I got in trouble and uh, they dropped my scholarship. So by that time, I was 15, 16. So you know what happens 15, 16, they drop your scholarships and now you're not going to college. Mm-hmm. My oldest brother was in the military. And we wasn't allowed to go into the military because of um, all the wars and crazy stuff that was going on. So he pretty much told my mama to promise him that, that she wouldn't let us go into the military. So once I couldn't go to college and then I couldn't go to the military, then I was going to be a rapper. Okay. <laughs> you know? so, so we just, you know, that's just what it was. Yeah. And that's just, at back, and back then, I mean, that's, that's really far as I've seen it right. at that time. So, Dre, here it is. Scholarship is taken away, and your brother gives the warning, like, nah, mm-mm. my brothers are not going into going into that. And we, we've seen some families who do that, you know, who've been in, who been in the military, and they're like, nah, you ain't going in there. So then now mm-hmm. you decide to pick up the mic. So, Dre, mm-hmm. when did you know, like, yo, I think I got something. Put me back in that time when you first started to touch the mic and what it felt like. And then where did you realize, like, yo, I'm pretty dope at this thing? Honestly, we was probably about 10. I think I was probably 10. My brother was 11. And then I had two smaller cousins that was like uh, 7 and 8. And our older cousins, they was actually touring up and down the East Coast. You know, they had money pulling up in limousines and they had all the shade trees. Shout out to Shade Tree Militia. Uh, they had all the, you know, the jury on. They had, you know, everything going on. So we was back then, we was recording on the boombox. So what we would do is we would take, we would take one, take one tape, put put a tape in and play that and then take the other box <laughs> and press record. Yeah! <laughs> so, and that's how we made our first single. And the first single we ever made, I think I was in like 10 years old, we made a song called City Growth Thugs. Mm. And the little, small, small children used to sing the song. And, you know, I was I was young and I was cussing, cussing, cussing. And my grandma would hear it like, them damn youngers back there with all that cussing, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, and ever since then, we even let our big cousins here, and they was like, I mean, y'all got to honor, you know what I mean? Y'all around music, y'all around us all the time. Then, you know, of course, y'all probably going to end up doing music. So then you go up, you know, five years later, because I was playing sports in high school. My older cousins, my, all of them, rich, rich, the feds came and got everybody, is what happened. Oh, wow. The feds came and got everybody and picked everybody up. And it was only one of my cousins left out. And he didn't, he, like, all his support system, everybody was gone. I mean, basically, the, the streets kind of turned their back on, in my point of view, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm 15, 16, me and my brother, 
So we we jumped off the porch. He took us to the studio, and we just kind of kept that thing alive. So basically, y'all was like the neighborhood ghetto stars right there. Because if, I, yeah, if you had oh, everybody yeah. who's who's rocking to your joints, then particularly little kids, y'all was basically the neighborhood ghetto stars. Being that way oh, since wow. the '90s, <laughs> <laughs> since the '90s, yeah. Yo, that's what's up, man. So when did you and your cousin finally start picking it up and saying, you know what? We can do something with this. When did that finally hit you? We well, we just kept doing it. We just kept doing it, kept doing it, and and uh, I mean, shoot, man, we would go, we would, um, we were selling CDs at school, at high school, you know what I mean? And then they would, we was with some other guys that uh, that was with us. So you know, then they started getting their shine on, and they was real heavy doing what they was doing, you know what I mean? So once we brought them into doing music with us, it just made them a little bit more, you know, harder than what they was already doing. But we always been the top dog. So honestly, um, years, you know, we, just, cause we didn't think about business. We, our, our business mind in music back then was we going to make some hot records. We already hot. Everybody loves We're going to blow up right here. Right. You know what I mean? And years later of doing that, we realized that that wasn't it. Once um, my oldest cousin, which is my business partner, um, we started moving around. We started moving around. We started um, having uh, record label meetings with uh, the Reed family, Antonio uh, Reed, um, Capricio Scat. Um, we went and met with uh, OG Ronsi and Swisher House. Um, we actually did our industry introduction with uh, Skylife Entertainment, which is Texas top publisher. And we started moving around from there. So we, we moved around the industry. You know what I mean? We actually got out of, we was recording, we had recorded a project and we was going to promote the project. But once we actually got in them rooms with the executives, they pretty much told us what the game was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we and from then on, we, we knew we was good. We knew we had good music. But once we actually had meetings with them, had conversations with them, we knew that music was not our thing. Like music was not the problem at all. You, we played them five or six songs, and you're talking four out of five songs of each meeting that we had could possibly be in hit if we would have had a business structure set up. So once we once we did all that and we left from Texas, I didn't want to rap no more. <laughs> I didn't want to rap no more because once you're really in that space, that real artist space, I mean, I'm not talking about um, your local artist space where you where you uh, say somebody you'll, you'll go to a club and you'll perform and then you'll get to go home and chill and then you don't perform until maybe the next weekend or something like that. Nah, if you really in that artist space, you don't sleep, you don't hardly, you hardly have time to think. From the time we touched down in Texas, it was touch down in Texas, get dressed, go to the club, leave that club, go to another club, leave that club, go to another club. Mm. Go back to the room, change, go to the radio station, leave the radio station, go to another club, you know, see what club, see what new clubs is open. Go meet all the club owners. Then you have meetings and meetings and meetings. And I mean, you it don't stop. I mean, it don't stop. And this is something that you, as, as you said, that you saw the real life of, of the artist. And this was something that you relished in, that you, that you enjoyed, or was it like, yo, whew, man. So yeah. which, which one was it? It was a wake up call for me. Mm. It was a wake up call for me. Like now I understand. Like say you say you look at the baby mm-hmm. or the little baby, any of, mm-hmm. and um, 
And man, them, them, I mean, they getting fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a show, but they doing a show in L.A., flying from L.A., then they flying to Louisiana, then they leaving from Louisiana, they flying to Texas, and they do that like in all one day. That's real. Wow. Like that's two. That's for real. I mean, you making two, three hundred thousand dollars a day, but I mean, you sleeping on, you sleeping from L.A. to Louisiana, from Louisiana to Texas. And other than that. You gotta get up. You gotta put on the show. You gotta perform. And I was older at the time. I was I was like 27, 28. So I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I kind of want to be an executive now. Well, one thing I will say is, it is everything that it's supposed to be. You don't stand in no line. You're not normal. You're not a normal person at all. Mm-hmm. Um, all eyes is on you. Um, man, you get all the attention in the world. People love you. You know what I mean? People you've never saw you say we was in Texas. I mean, you go to the club. The club, the lines is wrapped around the building downtown Houston. We stood. We didn't stand in nary line. Security came and got us from every every time we pulled up. Security was at our door to come get us and take us directly to whatever VIP booth we wanted. Mm. And I mean, so it is everything that they say it is. Mm. But man, it's it's tough. It's a grind. True grind. It's, it's true grind. Yes, it is. Oh, and that's one reason why, that's one reason why I see why people, a lot of people say drugs, drugs, drugs. But I'm going to tell you something. If you coming from, you know, a small North Carolina town like me, but you can, you know, you, you know, I work long hours, but then I still get to come home and I get to go to sleep. You have to stay up for two or three days with one hour, two hours worth of sleep. You're going to find something to keep you up because you ain't got to come in. It's $50,000, $60,000 on the line. Mm. And that's and that's what that's what made me understand how that goes with a lot of them artists and stuff. Man, the untold story that people don't hear. Yeah, it's the truth. You know what I'm saying? And that's why when I, when we left, when we left, we were supposed to really leave. We left, and we were supposed to kind of follow up to um, either go back or maybe hit a Louisiana market or something like that. But when I got back, man, I was like, nah, man, I, I want to sit down in my executive chair I want to make some phone calls because that's not it <laughs> that's not it wow Dre as we move forward as young lady some way somehow you get this word Dre I'm pregnant what was that like really what was what went through your head when you got that when you got those words I was I knew it I knew it man I bet uh, I had my first child when I was 25 my old lady at the time, I told her, I said, listen, I'm going to have a get you present. I'm going to have a son. His name going to be Andre Dwight David Jr. And she thought I was crazy. <laughs> so you pre- said, so what? basically you you prophesized this. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, yeah. And, and, and check it. So at the time, now, I was I was still a knucklehead back then. So I, I lost my driver's license. I had a bunch of pen and dope chargers. And I was living with my mom, um, you know, but I was still working and doing my thing or whatever, you know what I mean? So, and I was like, this is what's happening. Like this, because if people want to, people want to be prepared for kids, but people fail to realize this, you can have $30 million and you will never be prepared for kids. You can have no dollars or rich and you will never be prepared for kids. But the day she got, I got that call and she said that she was pregnant. Between the time I got that call, she said she was pregnant, and the time my son was born, I had already got me a got me a car, got my license back, and moved into my own house. And I said my kids will never ever not have their own home. 
Here it is now. After that, you get the call. Yo, get to the hospital. I'm about to pop this thing. You hop there and you see the bread comes out the oven. Ten fingers, mm-hmm. ten toes. And they put mm-hmm. this little being in your arms. What was that like? It changed my life. In what it way? It changed my life. Man, that was the only thing that mattered. Mm. That was the only thing that mattered was that baby. Like that baby, my little Andre Dwight, that was good. That I said I was going to have. And he came right out of there too. And that was it, man. That was it. A lot of stuff that, that mattered to me. It really didn't matter to me. You know, like I said, I was still knucklehead at the time. You know what I mean? So a lot of the, the street stuff that I had going on and stuff, man, that stuff, I, I, I wasn't even thinking about that. I wasn't even, you know what I mean? But I will say, once, it, once fatherhood kind of kicked in and I realized that it wasn't this, wasn't kind of kicked in, I kind of, just kind of went back to doing kind of what I was doing. The baby's fine. You know, he got a great mother. We had a great support system at the time. I was the best father in my 20s. I, I will definitely say that. But I was always been a great provider. But So, as you said, you weren't that great of a father at the time. When mm-hmm. did it finally click? I got to get my ish together here because right. this is not a game with this kid. When, when did that kick okay. in? Okay. Like I said, I've always been... It's like... Um, he was my first child I had when I was 25 so it was kind of like he kind of grew up with me. Mm-hmm. like he kind of he kind of been there with me and seen me go through a lot of stuff you know what I mean he always been safe and always been taken care of when I had the made me get to the point where I'm at now is when I had my second child by my by my ex-wife my second mm-hmm. baby mama and then I turned 30 and when I turned 30 and had my second child that was when I was just like okay I'm you know, my, my teens was out of control. Right. My 20s was the most dangerous things anybody could do in their life. So when I turned 30, I got married. I actually bought my first house before I turned 30, and I cut my dreads off. And I said, I'm going to spend my 30s, you know, building an empire for my boys. And that was it. And that's where I'm, I'm still on that path right now. Would you say it was, do you think it was due to maturity, due to age, or it was having those two kids like all right yeah this is not a game anymore which which one do you think it was or do you think it was a combination I, of both it was a combination of both you know what i mean because god blessed me to be in a um not rich or anything like that but like i said man i i, I i've i've been able to provide and no, no my, my kids always had everything they wanted everything they needed as far as that aspect of it you know what i mean but it was more of a me it was more of a me thing like okay um, my oldest son, he about to turn at the time. He was about to turn seven or eight, and then I was about to have another baby. So I was like, "Man, I'm about to turn 30. And that's when people, some people in my family started dying from aneurysm. Like my best friend died from an aneurysm. Oh, wow. Never even heard of an aneurysm. So I'm like, "Man, this is crazy." So now I'm thinking to myself, "I'm getting to my 30s. Now my health scares me more than anything in this life, you know. And I got good health. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm right. healthy, man. I go to my yearly checkup, all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like I'm healthy, but you're, you're, if, if you're having an accident or whatever, eventually your body gonna let you down. So once I turned thirty and I succeeded all my expectations of doing everything I thought I, that I wanted to do, and was actually be able to do it before I turned thirty. When I turned 30 and I had my uh, second son and I actually was married at the time, I was like, you know, I got a, I got a bill here. Like, I got I to gotta really buckle down 
and create something for these boys. And that's it. Let's hop off of this for a moment and go on. Let's slide onto onto the block of, as we know, in the hood, not a lot of men like us make it to 30. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure you know that, too. I I know you know some people like that. So were there those moments where you tap 30 and you're this father and were there moments where it's like, yeah, man, I made it at this age and you're seeing other people around you. Were there times when you saw people around and, you know, they were still playing around, still doing things at at that age and with kids and everything that you said, nah, not me. mm -mm." Absolutely. Older. Mm. Older than me, man. That there was people way older than me still doing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just still doing the same stuff. But you know, at you know, at that time in my life, man, I didn't care. I, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I got my crib, I got my family right here. Ever anybody else is doing, it, it don't concern me. You know what I mean? I'm out. I'm done. There's no need to bring that energy around me. You know what I mean? If you come holler at me, come holler at me. But some people don't learn. Some people don't get enough. Right. No matter what, no matter how many times they go to jail, no matter how many times they have altercations of, you know, situations with people, no matter how many kids they have or how much money they make, some people just don't get enough, some people just don't stop. I just wasn't one of them people. Where was that one pivot where it just said, that ain't going to be me? Whatever whatever went down, yeah, that's not going to be me. It, it really wasn't one pivot. Pivot. You know what I mean? It was just me, honestly, man. I always been able to kind of, always been kind of able to, from a certain point either way, always kind of been able to have a plan, have a goal. Yep. And once I have a plan and I have my goal, I'm, I'm just tunnel vision on that. If there was something that I saw with, that happened with somebody else and was like, nah, that's not going to be me. You know what I'm saying? I tell, I tell, I tell you one thing that was big that's been going on my entire life with my dad. My dad has been in and out of prison my entire life. Um, mm. There's a such thing as not being able to provide for a child or do stuff for a child. And then there's a such thing as not trying. You know what I mean? So from just growing up, growing up that way, I knew I wasn't going to be that for my kids. So, I mean, that started from when I was a kid. Right. Um, but far uh, like me changing and moving away from what I was doing because uh, once I moved away from what I was doing you know um, I disconnected so I didn't know nothing mm. you know what I mean I, I, I would go I, I, it was been um, so when I would go back to the neighborhood yeah, I would see all these new faces and everybody would know me and everybody looking up to me because you know I, I, I put my thing down when I was out and about you right. know what I mean right, so right, right. When, when I would just come through or whatever you know everybody giving me my just do showing me they respect and everything um and then i would hear about what's going on and who is who and what's what and this and that and okay cool you know what i mean have a few drinks you know what i mean burn a few with the fellas or whatever mm-hmm. right back right back to the crib you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying so i was all I, I i was able to like when i was at when i was able to walk away i was able to walk away um with a clean slate you know what i mean i didn't have to um so what everybody else was doing it wasn't my concern, you know what I mean? My only concern is my plans and my goals for what I was trying to do for uh, me and mine. That was it. Because as we know, walk away from the game. That's not everybody. That doesn't work That doesn't work for everybody. Dre, you, you talked to, with your pops that he was in and out. Were there any moments that you spoke to him while he was in his in and out phase? Like, what's up? Or that wasn't that was existent? 
Well, my daddy had this. My daddy got this routine, and this routine been going on for thirty-five years. Where he'll call me every single day, talk to him every single day. But my dad, me and my dad's conversation is like, "Hey, son, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Dad. Okay, all right, son. I'll call you tomorrow." Like our conversations is maybe a minute, two minutes, and then his routine is he'll call me every day. Then I won't hear from him for a week. You know what I mean? Then I'll hear from him maybe every other week. Then I'll hear from him for maybe a month. You know what I mean? Then I won't hear from him at all for a while. And by that time I hear from him again, he'd be already be in jail. So that that pattern yeah. is something that's been going on for 35, 30 years of my life. Mm. It's just always been that way. It's never, it's never anything different. You know, he, he broke into the high school and he was on the news. It, I mean, it's not funny, but just because something I've been through is not nothing new to me because he's been breaking the high school for decades. So he he broke into the school and and I was at work and people was calling like uh because you know with the cold schools being on lockdown you know that that's serious stuff. Yeah. So it's all on Facebook. Uh, West Brunswick is locked down. Somebody broke in the school. Somebody uh, this and that and this blood on the glass and all this and that this that right so I'm like damn what's going on everybody's wondering what's going on in the house school I see the news and my dad's on camera breaking into the school <laughs> Whoa. to go to go you know what I mean so the crazy part about it was when they called him I mean, they had him on the news and everything cause his name is Andre too so people were calling me man I got so many phone calls so many messages <laughs> <laughs> so many text messages. They thought it was you. And, well, no, well, no, 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 no. They didn't think it was me. Actually, they were, everybody was calling to check on me to make sure that I was okay. Like, oh, I, that's your dad. Um, is you okay? I'm sorry to hear that. And you know, like everybody pouring out all this sympathy for me, right? Mm. And I'm sitting, and I'm sitting, like, what the fuck wrong with y'all? Like, what? <laughs> 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 Like, so I called my mama. I said, "Mom, these I said, "Mom, these people is just calling me and they message because they put it up on the news website and everything." Well, it was up there, and a lot of people was commenting. And then once a lot of people found out it was my dad, I mean, they was calling me and texting me and messaging me, and they were just pouring out all the sympathy. So I called my mom. I said, "Mom, these people is calling me and they telling me they sorry." She said, "Well, she said, what is they sorry for?" We've been going through this. Mm. <laughs> it, it might, it might be, it's new to y'all. You know, it's, it's new to y'all, and it might be something that maybe normal people would be traumatized by it or whatever. Right, right. Well, you've been going through this your whole life. It's just another day. It's just it another is what thing. It is. You know what I'm saying? It is, it is what it is. But it was, it was, I guess it, it was funny for me. You know what I mean? Because I mean, these these people was okay. Well, where I'm at is like eighty percent. 70, 80% all white. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, all of these people is messaging me and they calling me and they texting me and everybody's like, oh, we're so sorry to hear this and we're so sorry to hear that. And I appreciate it, you know? I do. I, I really did appreciate it. Like, you okay? I'm like, I'm, I'm free. Is y'all okay? Like, y'all are sad and y'all so worried about it. But this ain't nothing new. Like, I mean, it's not, only difference is now is it was on the news this time. But they hit them broke in there 30 times before then. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Yo, you know what I'm saying? What? You know what I mean? Like, so, and, I, and I love my dad. I love my dad. And I actually have a good relationship with my dad because of my mom. 
mm. because my mama knew because my mama always told me said you know what your daddy is you know how your daddy is but that's your daddy you better not mess with him you better not say nothing bad about him he's your daddy the only daddy so I don't care what he do because you know how he is you better love him and always respect him because if you ever disrespect him I hear about you have a problem with me oh, and nobody wow. don't want a problem with mama so wow so pause for a moment on that one Shouts out to mom on that Because normally as we know You won't hear that It'll be Mom would, would mm-hmm. bash him But your mother still Recognized him As your father regardless And still taught you And instilled in you This respect for him Now mm-hmm. Because of that Were there still those moments It's like man If only I could just Sit with him Despite whatever If I could just sit, sit with him And have that conversation School me to things in life Did you still have those moments That you thought about no, hell no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my daddy, right. my dad, what, what can he teach you? You know, what conversations will we have? Right. You know, I mean, there, you know, there, there is no, I mean, there's, there's none. I mean, I, I, from a little kid, I think my mom would tell me, you know, like I taught myself how to tie my own shoes. I mean, I was a kid that would go and take all the doorknobs off the doors in the house and put them back on myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, what can my dad teach me? Right. Well, he, it was nothing he could teach me. You know what I mean? So no, it that wasn't it. Shout out to my stepdad. Um, he taught us how to survive. You know what I mean? My step, my mama taught us how to be men. My stepdad taught us how to survive, and the street taught us, you know, how to survive, make money. Where's the room at? You know, ain't no room. You know, to try to pick up some games from somebody that, you know, I don't want to learn how to steal. (laughs) I don't want to learn how to break in nobody's house or none of that. So no, it, it was never that. Here it is. We. Get it again for a third time. Dre, I'm pregnant. And now you got another little one coming into the, into the world. The difference between yeah. Dre hearing this in his 20s and now Dre now hearing this again at this present age that he is. What was the difference that in your reaction and your mindset? I was ready. I was ready. I was 100% ready. So check it. And they got so much different technology and stuff now. So, like, we, we thought we were going to have the baby probably say two or three weeks later than the doctor said so she went to the doctor and the doctor was like no we're gonna we're gonna um the baby's gonna come like next week like three four days we was like like three four days i thought we had like two weeks and at this time we i mean i hadn't had pacifiers i hadn't had um really diapers because we, we didn't even have a baby shower or anything um we, i didn't have diapers i didn't have I didn't have anything, you know what I mean? which I wasn't worried about it. It was just, we just kind of wanted to wait till it got closer to the time because she was hoping for a girl. So we didn't want to get a bunch of boy stuff and have a girl. <laughs> but we knew we was having a boy, but she just wanted to hold on to that. You know, hopefully we'll have a girl thing. But man, I tell you, when that doctor said, oh, we having a baby in like three days, Amazon Prime is for the, for the win. <laughs> Yeah. Like Amazon Prime for the wind. Yo, so I got all my my Pampers and Whites on subscription. <laughs> yo, man, I had like five, ten packs of bibs, baby bottles, socks, outfits. I mean, by the time that baby was born, he was straight for the first six to a month. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. You know what I mean? But I was ready. Then. You know what I mean? I was ready. You know, I'm, I'm in my bag now, you know what I mean, for my boys. And that's my last. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> I see Absolutely you. Absolutely laughing. I see you. So with these three boys, what is it that you want to make sure you instill in them that they'll be able to carry on 
into their adult life? I just want them to work hard, man. I want them to work hard. And I want them to understand that whatever, if you work hard for something, you can you can have it. And my big thing for them is I don't want them to have to start from zero or feel like they don't have or feel like they by themselves. You know what I mean? And my, my middle son, he's in Florida, so it's a lot of things I can't do for him, but really provide for him. He know his daddy work hard. He know who take care of him. My kids know who take care of them. You know what I mean? And I tell them, if you want it and you earn it, I that's what that's that's what I do. I make sure you can get it. But if you don't earn it and you don't deserve it, you show me that you want it. Show me you appreciate it. If you don't show me you appreciate it, you don't show me that you want it, then you just won't have it. As you was mentioning, that you don't want your kids to start from zero. And I spoke to some fathers who dealt with this too, that to provide for their kids, to give them things they didn't have. Do you try to find a balance so that they'll be able to understand, all right, you still could work, you still got to work for it. I can get it for you, but you still got to mm-hmm. work. Do you find there's a hard balance or how do you navigate that? No, because no, I'm not about to give them a damn thing. Oh, no. Let, let me just clear this up. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'm not about to get what, I, what I'm going to, I'm going to give them opportunity. Mm. You know what I mean? And when I say I don't want them to start with nothing, as in, okay, if you uh, know, if God bless me with three kids that graduate high school, um, if you ain't going to college, first of all, if you're not gonna get no scholarship, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm probably not gonna pay for it. It just depends on what's going on. I, I don't know about the military, maybe, maybe not, but knowing their mother, their mothers are probably not gonna let them go in the military. So you gonna have to get out of work. Man, once you, if you getting out there and you working, and that's why that's my thing. I'm hoping I have something to say you can come work with me. You know what I mean? And then I can see you wanting to get it done and I can teach you a lot of things that I know. Other than that, you got to, you know, learn how to be a man, learn how to provide the best way you can and whatever you need, you know, I'm going to be there for you, you know. Um, I, I, and I'm going I'm to tell the truth. I want to get them all cars. I, you know what I mean? I just, when they get driver's license, long, you know, as long as they deserve it. You get the driver's yeah. license, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Your daddy want to put you, put you in some wheels. Why do you Keep your towel in fatherhood. Man, I love I love my kids, man. My kids is everything, man. That's why I don't want to have no more. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's why, I mean, I got them three. Everything I do now is, is to build something for them, man, and build something for them to be proud of me. You know what I'm saying? I want my kids to be proud of me, um, and I hope they make me proud of them. I want, like, my oldest son, I start with him because, like I said, I feel like he grew up with and when he get out, he he's very smart. He always, you know, God bless him with a very intelligent kid. So I'm hoping that he can learn and see how hard I work and want to work hard, but you know, not have to do it the way he has to see me do it. You know what I mean? I hope he can work smarter, not harder. And I hope I can put him in position to do that. And then he can uh, take that to his brother and hopefully they can, you know, work with their minds and not have to necessarily work with their hands all the time. Well, that's what's up. Yo, Dre, one more thing before we hop out of here. Just do me a favor. Just imagine mm-hmm. you're in a room. And to your right, there are OG fathers, grandfathers, fathers who have grown kids. In the middle, you have fathers who have teenagers. And in that, oh, in that space, you have also, they have... They're appropriate fathers like coaches, pastors, and all that stuff. And then to your left, there are those fathers who are just entering this thing called fatherhood. And they're welcoming little ones. And also coming into the room are those men who 
just are not getting this fatherhood thing down packed. They're, you know, they're all over the place with it. What would you say to those men? First of all, what I would say for the ones with the teenagers, I'm praying for them. <laughs> My sympathy is with them. And I pray for them and I pray and I and I and I hope nothing but the best of them. And um the OG fathers that um that's doing their thing with grown with grown children, you know, I hope that they made their kids elevate from a level where they were. And the ones that just coming in to this man, um, I would tell them, don't be scared. Don't don't be scared. Because one thing about parenthood that I that I've learned that I've seen not just with myself but with the majority of parents is you never know how something's gonna get done. You don't know how this is gonna work out. You don't know how that is gonna work out. But somehow it always do. And that's just a, I don't know if it's just a parent's instinct or just the way the universe works, but it does. So don't be scared and be there and be the best you can. Anything, especially this, anything that could take you away from your children cut it because it ain't worth it it is not worth it if there's any last words that you want to say before we hop out of here my man the floor is yours it is man i want to say this to these teenagers and these young men and young women that's growing up in this world and and it's crazy um i don't know if you've seen it but i watch a lot of nino brown and there was a kid a teenager that shot his stepdaddy for asking him to help wash the dishes you know what I mean? And I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm looking at the landscape of these teenagers. Not all of them. You know, not all of them, but a lot of these teenagers. And my, my oldest son is not quite a teenager, but he coming. Like, he'll be a teenager in no time. And it's like, I wish somebody, you know, anybody that's out there that listens to this podcast, who's a father that's, that's working, that's grinding, that's trying to build something, that's trying to, you know, maybe, man, man, man Maybe you might, maybe you might have a teenage boy that you might be able to put me on some games. You know what I mean? Because I'm watching my family raise their teenagers and other parents raise their teenagers, and I don't get it. I don't understand. I, I don't understand what's on these teenagers' mind. I'm talking. I mean, these teenagers, but they got good parents. Mm-hmm. But they got they they been they been from 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 elementary school to. High school, they had on every brand new pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some of them don't even have to eat, never had to ride a school bus. Nope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, and, and y'all out here wanting to be in the street so bad, do y'all even know what that means? Like, nobody want to be in the street because they got to, because they just want to be, right? And now these kids, they just want to be. And I hope everybody that listens to this, if you could tell these kids or any of these teenagers that's out here, man, let me tell you something. Man, when you want to be in the streets, you want to go to jail forever. You want somebody to murder you. You want to murder somebody. You're going to put your family's life in danger. And the thing about this, and I'm speaking on it because I understand it. I honestly understand it because I've been, I've been through it. 16 years ago, I was the same way and I didn't understand it, but I didn't have nobody to tell me this. You know what I mean? I didn't have nobody to sit down and explain this to me. Or let me know. I only thing was I could look at the look on my mama's face when she would get phone calls about. But we didn't have what these kids got. The technology wasn't back then. The the program, man, the program that these communities and stuff got, man, they didn't have. Man, they got. We went from having just 
football, basketball, and baseball here, man, they got soccer, tennis, swimming, golf, water polo. I ain't even never seen, never seen water polo. <laughs> Who comes down here to play water polo? I ain't even never seen it. And they got esports East, too. East, you know what I mean? I ain't never seen that. You know what I'm saying? But I, you know, I just for for these teenage these teenagers in this teenage thing right now. Um, I pray for the parents and I pray for all these teenagers right now because it's not the same. Like somebody said, they, well, you know, we was 15, 16, you know, we just off the porch, you know, but they was like, you know, well, y'all wasn't the same as them. But the times ain't the same as it was then either. So I just really, really, really um, pray for these, these young adults that's um, about to be adults. And I hope they make it out. And that's the thing. That's the thing. I was able to make it out smooth sailing cakewalk. I was able to walk right out the damn door, shut the door. And if y'all want to holler at me, knock on my damn door before you come visit me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but but they don't understand this. That, 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 man, not a lot of people can do that. I don't care where you at. Not a lot of people can just walk out and just be done with it. You know what I mean? Because of baggage. You know, whether it's OB, unpaid debt, female, in any, you know what I'm saying? You just, people just can't walk out like that, man. I just, and I just worry about, you know, these teenagers because they is off the chain. I don't know if I'm looking at it from my adult eyes. <laughs> no, nah, but they off the chain. They off the chain, man. So I just pray for all the parents um, that's out there. Just do the best you can. And I also want to say this, be the best parent that you can be. And I'm, I'm a strong believer in now, man, once kids get to a certain age, You've done all you can do as a parent. The only thing you can do after that is just be there for them. That's it. And so don't, so especially a lot of uh, mothers, mothers out there, don't beat yourself up about a lot of this stuff. Because you've done the best you could do. Um, don't beat yourself up about it. It's not your fault, but I'm, I'm, I know it's rough. You know what I mean? I probably got about two more years before I have a official teenager. Hopefully I won't have to break too much foot off in it. Well, folks, there you mm -hmm. have it. You heard it there simply from a father himself. And you heard his plea to the fathers, teenagers, and mothers out there. And hopefully, as you heard him, you hear the sincerity in his voice that he wants to make sure that the future is better out there for us. So with that being said, Mr. Davis, congratulations. You have survived this sparring session as this sparring session is over. And... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to make sure I put all of Dre's, his stuff and his work in the description box. I need you to go out there and go and check him out. I promise you it's so dope. Branch off records. I want you to go and check out the stuff, check out their music and everything. To all my fathers out there, keep up the good work. Keep trying. Keep going. This, As Dre said, this parenthood thing, you're just going to have to figure it out as you go along. So like I always tell you, wipe the blood, wipe the sweat, wipe the tears. But whatever you do, don't throw your towel. This is your man, Aunt Boogie. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there, OGs and newbies. Welcome into the world of fatherhood. We'll check you when we check you. We see you when we see you. We are out of here. Peace.